0: Our scripture reading this morning is found in Isaiah chapter 58, which is on page 399 there in the Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And we say this every week, and I hope that you believe us. Those Bibles are for you. Uh, If you're here and you don't have a Bible that you can call your own, we want to encourage you to take the one that's there in front of you. And uh, we would ask that you would just see it as a gift. Uh, There's no... Obligation, nothing in return. So it's it's yours. So page 399, Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgment. They delight to draw near to God. is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast in a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is God's word. Good morning.
1: So we begin. we're going to uh, as Chris just read for us, we're going to spend some time this morning in Isaiah chapter 58. We're setting aside just our series in first Corinthians. We'll come back to that next week. But uh, this week, we're going to look at Isaiah 58. And as we begin and as we begin to think about this passage and as we're going to look at it, I want you just to think for a second. I know this applies to just about everybody in the room, I want you to think of different times when you've gone to a funeral. Uh, I know a lot of you have lost loved ones. Many of you have lost loved ones that are very close to you, uh, sometimes in very, uh, quick and unexpected ways. And, and what happens a lot of times when, uh, that happens and we go to a funeral, there's, there's deep grief and there's deep sadness, but inevitably what happens is a funeral is we end up, uh, stopping and really taking some time and just contemplating how, uh, short this life is and and how fleeting life is and how we only have a certain number of years on on this planet the way God's put us here in this way and and so what happens is is that those intense emotions are there and we start to reflect on those and we start to think and and oftentimes what people will say is uh just give it some time and then things will get back to normal right and and to a degree, that's true. I'm not going to say that's not completely true because when you're in the middle of grief and it's very intense feelings over time, time does help to heal some of those intense feelings. But in some ways, we say that oh, things will get back to normal, like uh, all this reflecting on how short life is and how quick things can come and go and all that. And we go, oh, it will get back to normal. And I just wanted to submit to you this morning when we when we're in the midst of that and we're in that place where we're really thinking about it, uh, maybe that should be the normal. Right. Maybe we're seeing things more clearly at those times than in the times that we call normal. Right. Because what happens in those times is we start to see how fragile life can be and how short it is. And the time that we have on this earth is is very fleeting. And it's not that long, as, as James says in chapter four, our life is just a mist. And then it vanishes that we're here for a second And the scope of eternity, 80 or 90 or even 100 years is really not very long. And so I just I say that just kind of as backdrop as we start this morning, because I really debated on whether or not to preach on Isaiah 58 this this morning. I picked that last week before going to Honduras, thinking, oh, this will be a good way to tie in to Honduras. And then I started to have doubts. Well, maybe maybe it's too soon. Maybe those things are too, too vivid right now to do that. But as as I was just saying with the funeral, I would say, actually, uh, things are clearer right now than they've ever been. I see Isaiah 58 in new ways that I hadn't seen quite before. And so I want us to take a few minutes and just walk through that. And I want to to do it today because I'm afraid things will go back to normal. And I say it this way, I don't want them to go back to normal. And so I want us to take a few minutes and just walk through Isaiah 58 and what God calls us to as believers and what he wants us to to be doing and to be about and the way that we're to go about it. And so as we jump into Isaiah, I realize we're jumping from first Corinthians to Isaiah. We'll go back to that next week. I've done this a couple of times now. We will get through first Corinthians. But as we jump into Isaiah, just just to set real briefly the scene, you know, Isaiah writes about 700 years before Christ would come. And he's writing to Israel and Judah and he writes over a period of time, he sees the collapse of. Of The northern kingdom as the Syrians come in and take them out and he sees a lot of things happening. We don't know exactly the date of Isaiah 58, but what we do know is that time the people of Israel, there was a lot of injustice, a lot of taking advantage of those in need. And so God gives this word to Isaiah and he tells them some things very clearly. And I'll be honest with you when we read it and maybe as Chris just read it to you there and as we listen, as we hear God's word, it can cut us very deeply. And I'll be honest, it, it probably should. And so I just say that is as, as kind of a warning, but also as as hope that that we want to see. Uh, sometimes we want to be cut deeply so we see more clearly what the Bible says, that so we get more centered on God's word. And so before we do that, let's just pray briefly and then we will look at this passage together. Lord, we just ask that you would be in this place moving today. We pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us. Uh, we we know that your word is is sharper than a two-edged sword and sometimes it does cut us and so we just ask this morning if that's uh what needs to happen that we need to see it more clearly we ask that you would do that we ask that you would uh, reveal to us how you want us to live and to follow you and we we pray that you would encourage us through your word and that we would leave here having seen you more clearly we just confess this morning that we need your spirit to move to understand and to apply this in our lives. And so we just invite you to freely do that in this place. We, we beg you, we ask you to do that in this place. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. And so as we look at it, the way I didn't have time uh, last week, it wasn't quite done. So you don't have an outline in your bulletin like normal, but we still have kind of three things we're going to go out. And this is the way we're going to do it first. um, How is our perspective skewed? And I would say, how is their perspective in Isaiah 58? And I would say that it's with us as well. So first, how is our perspective skewed? Secondly, how do we recenter it biblically? And then lastly, what is the motivation to live that out? so how is it skewed? How do we recenter it? And then how do we have the or what is the motivation to live that out? So let's just start with how the perspective gets skewed. And as you start in Isaiah 58, you see this picture as God gives this word to Isaiah and he says, declare to my people there in verse one, their transgression to the house of Jacob, their sins. And, and, and so he's telling them, tell them what's wrong here and let them know. And then as you start to read verse two, it's kind of shocking what he says, because he says they seek daily. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And then at the end of verse two, he says, they ask of me righteous judgments and they delight to draw near to God. And you read those things and you kind of go, what's going on there? Because he just says, I want you to tell them what's wrong. And then he turns around and says, you know, they seek, uh, they delight to know me and they seek me daily and they delight to draw near to me and to know my ways and these things. And you go, he's describing, they really like going to church and they really like Bible study. They really like coming to God and go, wait a second, what's going on here? And and what you see as you read that in the middle of verse two, it starts to kind of reveal the heart that's behind that. The heart that's behind the outward show. And there in the middle of verse two, it says they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. And then verse three says the people say, why have we fasted and you've seen it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. And so what you get, the picture you start to get is that we can be very busy with religious looking things and still miss the heart of God. We can be real excited about coming to church and going to Bible study or going to a small group, and then the rest of our life doesn't look like we even care about them. And that's basically what's happening here. And that's how the perspective has been skewed. And not only that, they they start to do that. And then they're demanding things from God. Why have you not? uh, We have fasted. And why have you not seen it? We've humbled ourselves. Why are you not blessing us? And so what can happen is we can get real caught up in religious things. The outward show for our own blessing. God, give me these things now. Hey, I've done it. I've gone to church every week. Where are you? Why aren't you blessing me? And so you start to see this heart behind it. And then so I'm reading this in Isaiah 58 and thinking about the people that that Isaiah is writing to. And then I think of a lot of the things that I hear today in our our own churches and our own country and just just in evangelical Christianity in general. And a lot of times it goes something like "Man, today uh, our country is a mess. We need revival. And by the way, I would say to that, yes, that's true. I would agree with that sentiment. And people will say that, man, we need God needs to move and we need something to happen. They'll say we need revival, and then the next thing will go, we need to get back in God's Word. Which again, I would say, yes. We absolutely do need to be in God's Word. We need to be holding that above and over everything we do and we say and the way we think, and that's absolutely true. And then the next step will go, and we need prayer. National Day of Prayer, and we need to be on our face before God. Again, absolutely yes. We can't spend enough time before him and and bowing down and coming to him and talking to him and cultivating that relationship. Absolutely, we should be in prayer. But sadly, what happens is then that's kind of where it stops. We need some Bible study and we need some prayer so we can get a revival. And so we'll go to church and we'll meet together and then we'll go off and do our normal stuff and then we'll keep doing that. And as I was thinking about that and as I was reading that, uh, we pray for all these things and we say, "Ah, oh, God, do this, do this, do this. And we want and we want and bless us in this way and bring us back and do these things. And then yet we go back to our lives just as they are. And it's not that different than what's happening in Isaiah 58. It says they delight to draw near and they delight to hear God's word and they delight to come before him and they do these things. And then they say, why haven't you blessed us? And so I just. Think about that and how dangerous that becomes when we get into that cycle. We pray and we read the Bible and we study and we do those things so that God can bless me. Now, give me some things, God, I'm reading the Bible and I'm coming to church. When are you going to move? And so we end up getting into that. And I say that's very dangerous because what happens when that's the case is God becomes a means to an end and not the end. I come to church because I want to say these, oh, I'll go to church and then I can get him to give me some things. And then it becomes about me and what I want. And that's what the people were doing in Isaiah's day. We fasted and you don't see it. We've humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it. And so we see that and I see that even today in the church. And so I want us just to think about that for a second. That idea of just where church religious things becomes about me, really. It becomes about wanting Whatever, whatever it is, these things, and so uh, it's very careful. And I say that's how we get our—I would say how we get our perspective skewed when it becomes religious activity, kind of for the sake of religious activity, or religious activity for the sake of what can I get out of it. And so, how do we recenter on a biblical perspective? And I'd say that's the second thing. How do we recenter that? And, and by the way, I just want to affirm. Make sure you hear this clearly. I am affirming in every way. Prayer and being in God's word is absolutely vital. I'm in no way diminishing that. I don't want you to hear that at all. I'm not making light of that. That's absolutely vital. And we need to be in God's word and we need to be praying and we need to be doing those things. But I want you to look at what God says here. What God says to the people through the prophet Isaiah, what he tells them to say. And so here they are. These people are fasting and they're making a big deal about religious things. And I'm coming and I'm doing this like verse five. It says uh, they bow down their head and they spread the sackcloth and ashes under him. And God says, will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Right. He says, you make a big show. And then listen to what God says. Is this not the fast that I choose? Right. So this is God's word to us saying this is the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke in verse six. Or you can look at verse seven and he says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Or in verse 10, he says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, Then shall your light rise in the darkness Or verse 13. He says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord, honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways and seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. He says, I don't want you to gather and do religious things. And talk idly about it and seek how it brings you pleasure. And for you, I know not what I want. God says, I want you to go out and to do these things and loose the bonds and undo the straps of the yoke. And be. you see this all throughout the Bible. Just reading through Isaiah recently. You see it right at the beginning of Isaiah in chapter one. The same thing's going on in Isaiah one. And it gets to the point where God says your religious activity has become a burden to me. He so says, I don't even want to look at it anymore because it's all talk and it's all show. And he says, I don't want that. That's not what I'm looking for. And so he says, and it gives the same answer, by the way, in Isaiah chapter one, he goes through this list and he says, it's a burden to me and I can't even look at it anymore. And then he says, I want you to do good and to seek justice and correct oppression. That's what God says I want from you. And so you see the same thing even right here in Isaiah 58 Loose the bonds, undo the strap, take away the yoke, pour yourself out, bring the homeless poor into your house. He says, that's what I want to see you doing. Yes, you gather together and you hear God's word and we praise his name and we pray together and we bow down in prayer and then we get up and we go out and we love people in the way that God's loved us. And God says, that's what I want to see from you. That's what I want to see you going about and doing. And so when I hear people say, we need revival. We need to return to whatever they're thinking of returning to in our country. And they say these things and we need to do this. And, and, and I think, well, if you want revival, God tells you right here. He says, if you do these things, your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. In verse eight or in verse 10, and he says, you know, if you do this. Notice there's a bunch of if then statements. If you pour yourself out for the hungry, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as of the noonday or verse 14. Then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. God gives us a pretty clear direction on what he wants to see. And so oftentimes when I hear people say that, I think of this. Well, God tells us right here, he says, Do justice and mercy and seek good and correct oppression. That's what you're to be doing. That's what will bring in all these promises that he gives us when we begin to do those things. And so when we think about that and we think about what God's calling us to in Isaiah 58, we've really got to think about there's a few ideas in scripture that we need to have some understanding of to get Isaiah 58. And one of those would be this idea throughout scripture of Shalom. If you've ever heard that before, it means peace. All throughout the Bible, it has a lot of different meanings. A lot of times, it, it, it has to do with completeness, fullness, perfectness. Right, that when God made His creation and it's good and everything's set and it's in its right balance, it's this perfect uh, balance of all things. It's the way He created and what He intended for us, and He He gave us in the original creation, and it's this beautiful picture. But along with that wide range of meaning, it also means an interconnectedness of all things i think all of God's creation goes together. Uh, I've heard the example said like this, and I like the way a, a giant tapestry of all woven together of a lot of different uh, fabrics and threads and everything. Thousands and thousands, and they're all interwoven. And that's kind of a good picture of this idea that it's all interconnected in so many different ways. And we we need to have some understanding of that, that that, that God, when we, we hear what he's saying in Isaiah 58, that's kind of a backdrop to what he's talking about that when we see all these things and it's out of balance over here, we see how it's all connected together and we should seek to correct oppression and help those in need and all those things, because that's God's heart for all those, you know, a true worship to should lead to action about the things that God cares about. Right. Not not just come together and pray and read and then go our separate ways and go back to whatever else and look like the rest of the world. We should be moving towards caring what God's heart is. And God tells us right here that this is his heart for all these things. You know, when we become a Christian, God gives us his very spirit dwelling inside of us and he's renewing us and remaking us in his image. And he gives us the mind of Christ. And so these things should be our, our heart. We should want to do these things you no, know, I was reading uh, just last week, uh, and I read there's a Old Testament scholar named Bruce Walkie. and he's a uh, he's a wonderful scholar of the Hebrew and uh, just a brilliant man. and And he says it this way when he talks about this idea of biblical justice, when we're trying to get to what does that actually look like. And I'll tell you, I'll just warn you as as you hear this quote from this Old Testament, it cuts pretty deep. And as I read it, I just But listen to what he says. He says, biblical justice means the interdependence of all things. Again, that idea of Shalom, this interconnected. And then he says this, your stuff is not yours. Righteous person is the one who disadvantages himself for the good of others. The wicked person says it's all mine. I read that one. By that biblical definition, how many times am I the wicked person? It's my stuff. I work for that. I bought it. It's mine, right? And he says, biblically speaking, it doesn't work that way because you see the interconnectedness of all things in God's creation and God's love for all his things. Or another way to say it it was printed in your bulletin this morning. Jonathan Edwards says it this way. Do unto others as you would do unto yourself. Oh, that one's pretty tough, too. (laughs) Right. Because what happens when I have a need, something comes up that I know I need in my life or whatever. Oh, I need new shoes. My, my soul's starting to come up. I go buy new shoes for me. But when somebody else has a need, it's like, ah, you know, they could probably go a little longer. Right. We do that often. We don't do unto others as we do unto ourselves. We do unto others as ah, maybe I'll get to that later or I'll give them a little what I got left over. And so this picture that starts to emerge of what God once for us, you know, you think about even the way Jesus talked, the greatest commandment. They asked him, well, what's the greatest commandment it's to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And you see this all throughout the Bible. You see it right here. You know, verse six says to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Who does that? Who lets the oppressed go free because it's not the oppressed because they can't do it. And if I see the oppressed and I can act and I can do something and I don't, then I'm back to the wicked person that says, ah, not really. Right, because the Bible says it's an interconnectedness of all things. And so we seek to correct those. And you see that all the way through here. You know what happens? I want you to think about it for just a second. What happens when someone wrongs you? Right. You want justice. Justice. And so if I'm going to do unto others as I would do unto myself, I should go after those things that are wrong, just as I would if it was done to me. And so that's the picture that emerges here. And it's the the way you see that God's telling us, I want you to live out your faith. And that's what it should look like. And that's kind of a scary thing when you start to think about it and when you start to see it that way. You know, this week I was uh, I kept thinking about this idea, you know, we've been supporting living water for a couple years now in this church and to go on this trip and to be with the men that do this all the time and you see it up close. And then all of a sudden you realize. They're lifting the yoke of so many things, right? They're going into places where people literally don't have water. And they're saying, we want to help you fix that. And it may be just a little but It's the first step. We need to remove that to get anywhere, right? I mean, if your family didn't have clean water, the only water you have access, you drink, it makes you sick. What would you do? What would you do for your children? You get to working on how I'm going to do that. How am I going to fix this problem, right? And then when I read this and I think about this biblical idea that my stuff is not mine and the righteous person is the one who disadvantages himself for the good of others. What does that mean? It means I should be caring about those people as much as I care about my own stuff. Man, that's hard. Because it reveals my sinfulness. It reveals how self centered I am. How I just want to let that go. And so we'll, I want us to try to get back to this proper balance. And, and hear me in this. I want to just pull back for just a second. Because what can happen as you start to talk about these things? We'll go, Oh, no. Getting into social justice and we're getting into trying to fix all the world's problems and that's not what the church is supposed to do and we kind of pull back and we we step away from it and go i don't know about that and so i I just want to be clear there are churches that go too far on this and what ends up happening is they say helping others helping provide water helping provide whatever that is the gospel that's the good news we go and we love people the way jesus loved us and that's it and that's what we do and i'd say no that's not it yes we are called to do those things but that's not the gospel the gospel is that the God of the universe came down and he did what you couldn't do for you so that you can have a relationship with your creator. Your creator is your redeemer and he does for you what you could never do for yourself and he gives it to you as a free gift. And it's only by faith in what Jesus has done for you. That's the gospel. You're saved by what Jesus does for you. And so if we go and we pretend that giving someone water is now the gospel, we've missed it. And so we have to be real careful because there has to be a, a balance And that's why I said, and I'm going to say it again, that's why word, being in the word and preaching the word and telling people and praying is so important. We can never leave that behind. That can never be, oh, we do that and now we move on to those other things. That always has to be there. Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. And so we never leave that behind. It always has to be there, but it has to then come With these other things, we're to be doing these other things. You don't just do one or the other. You do both. And so, again, I'm going to bring it back to living water for just a second. That's why I'm so excited that we're involved with living water. Because what happened this week is we go into a village and we love on people and we spend time with them. And we help them build a well so that they can actually have clean water. And then we get to the end and we say, you know why this is called living water? You know why it says Aqua Viva on the side of the bus? Is because as great as this water is, there's something so much greater. And it's Jesus. And you get to tell them. And you've earned the right to be heard because they've seen that you love them. And then you get to say it. And you get to point to how great Jesus is. So it has to be both. It has to be both together. And that's what God's telling us and what he wants us to do. Yes, you remove the yoke of of contaminated water, but then you speak the truth of what God's done. And so that brings us to just the ending. What's the right motivation for that? Because whenever you talk about these things and you talk about missions and the poor and those who are in need and and quickly, it can become a bunch of different things. I'll be honest, it can quickly become you sit and you listen, you feel really guilty. I've blown it. Guilt can't be the motivation for this. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. So it's not guilt. Can't be guilt. That's that's not the motivation. It can't be. okay. so let's help the poor and let's do these things. And then God will get our economy back on a strong footing. Can't be that either, because if it's that, then we're verse three. We fasted and we've done these things. Where are you, God? What am I going to get out of it? It can't be that because then that just becomes self-centered and it comes back to me and it's well, God owes me some stuff because I did some things for him. And it can't be that it can't be pride. Oh, well, I'm a good Christian. Yeah, I love God. So I guess I'll do this, too. I'll grip my teeth. And because I want people to think I'm a good person, I'll go ahead and do these things. It can't be that. And so what is it? What is the motivation that's ever going to spur us on to actually just get after it and do these things? And it's verse 14. You shall take delight in the Lord. It has to be a delight in who He is. We have to be so overcome with His extravagant love that He showed us and what He's done for us that we then just go out. And we want people to see. And we want them to know and to taste the goodness that is our God and what He's done for us. It's the only motivation that will ever get us anywhere. You know, as blown away as we would. Ride around and we'd listen to these guys that have lived that have worked for Living Water for 13 years, and they do this every week. They go and they do it over and over, and you go, "Oh man, that's so awesome what you're doing." And you know they'd look at you and they kind of shrug their shoulders, and it was kind of like, well, "What else are we going to do?" <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of lay on my couch a lot of times. That's what else I guess. But and they just go and they do it and they do it over and over. And they just kind of show. Yeah. What else do I do? You go, man, that is so cool. We're kind of like, well, yeah, God's loved us. So we're going to go love these people or the guy who started this in Honduras, living water in Honduras. His name is Emilio. And we spent all week with him and he is quite a character and he's a neat man who loves the Lord. And one of the first days we're riding in the bus and he starts telling me, he's like, oh, there's so many times that I start to think, oh, I want to earn some more money so I can buy a new uh, PlayStation for my kids or I want to buy. And he said, and then I go and I visit these people and I see that they don't have anything. And then I go, how in the world can I think about buying myself a new whatever when they don't have anything? Friends, Emilio's house. I, I would dare to say that most people here wouldn't even step foot in or even think about living in a house that Emilio lives in. And he's going, Oh, I'm too rich. I, I've got way too much to be Concerned about me. What Melio was saying without knowing it, what he was saying, is he was getting this idea of shalom and the interconnectedness of all things and how God sees our stuff and how we should see it. That our stuff is not our own and that it's God's and that we should be looking at it that way. And so I just, I was blown away, encouraged. You go and you think, oh, I want to be a blessing I want to help, and you come away blessed far more. By the people that are there and what they're doing. You know, there's a wonderful paradox that comes out of this, too. As you start to give more and more and you start to give yourself away and you go, you realize, oh, this is not my own and it's God's and I want to glorify him and I want to give. There's this wonderful joy that happens. I guarantee you, nobody goes and helps to build a well for people who don't have water and then comes home and go, man, I wish I had my thousand dollars back. I really could use a new TV. It just doesn't happen. You go, how do I do this again? How do we help other people that are in this position? And so we have to see this. And I just make sure we're so clear on this. This has to be you are so overwhelmed with who God is and what he's done for you. That you see that everything you have is his. And not only is everything that you have is his everything that you ha- you, you see him as I want to use all that I have to glorify him. And to point people to him. And so that has to be the right motivation. And so I'm just going to end here today with this. Just real briefly, a couple challenges to you as we think about that. First, uh, share your faith. And I mean, share your faith today. Not in some general way, like, oh, maybe I'll talk to my neighbor today. And if the conversation so goes towards church or something, I might mention that I went to church. The power of God is the gospel clearly proclaimed. So proclaim it, whether it's friends or neighbors or family or whoever, you know, that doesn't know Christ. Say it. When we talk about lifting the yoke of oppression, the greatest oppression there is, is that we are separated in our sin from our creator. And you have the answer. So say it. Proclaim the name of Jesus. Secondly. Give generously. Disadvantage yourself for the sake of others. It's a hard one. You know, Dirk, I spent the week with Dirk. If you don't know Dirk, he's great. (laughs) Especially after a week with him nonstop. But (laughs) I love him more now than at the beginning of the week. So that tells you he's pretty great because And I'd say the same for Al, too. But uh, Dirk said, I give you permission. This way Dirk talks. I give you permission to preach on tithing, brother. I said, "Okay, okay, (laughs) Dirk, thank you. And so I'll just say this. When I say give generously in the Bible, tithing is 10 percent and that's the minimum. I don't say that very often. It makes me uncomfortable to talk about money. But after where we were this week, I'm a little more comfortable saying 10 percent is the minimum. And I I say that, and I want to remind you, and maybe we don't say this enough either. You know, right now, I was looking in the bulletin this morning, we're we're a few thousand dollars ahead in our budget, which is wonderful. You know what happens when we're ahead in our budget at the end of the year? We give that money away. And so if we ended up $20,000 ahead, then that means, well, that could be five wells. (laughs) Or for $40,000 or fifty, or whatever it is, the more generously we give, the more we can do. I'm not asking you to give so we can build more stuff or whatever. I'm asking you to give generously so we can do more for the sake of God's kingdom. So give generously. And then lastly, I'm just going to say this, and maybe this is the seeing it more clearly this week or not. I I don't know, but go. You need to go to one of these places. If you are physically able and it's in your power to go, go. Go to places where they've never heard the gospel. Go to places where they couldn't even fathom the way that you live. Because it'll change you. And you'll begin to see what God's saying when he says, I want you to be poured out for these things. My heart is for these people and I want you to see it. And so I just say that I hope that's not too, I don't know, I don't really care. (laughs) I was going to say, I hope it's not too heavy handed, but it's what Isaiah 58 says. So (laughs) let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you. I thank you for the immensity of the blessings that you've poured out on us right here in this place. The things that you've given us, this place that we have to gather together, that we can uh, join together and we have uh, without fear of persecution. And we have an air conditioned building in a beautiful setting and all these things that you've given us. And we thank you for those. I pray this morning that we'd be ever more faithful to follow you wherever you're leading. I pray that we would seek to give generously for your glory, for nothing else other than just to see you glorified the world over in so many ways. And I pray that you'd give us creativity, that you'd give us excitement, that you'd give us a heart to go forth and to do that in, in your name and for your glory. We, we just confess that all we have is yours, and I pray that we would seek to use it in a way that honors you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.